Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Lone Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and a very special guest. This dude hails from Winter Park, Florida, which is where we shoot this podcast. He is the one, the only John O'Leary with Cap Source. Yes, sir. He is a hard money lender. He is a real estate investor. John and I have been fielding these requests for months. Hey, D.O., you talk a lot about residential lending. Can we talk about hard money? Can we talk about private money? And I thought, I can, but I don't know if I'm the best person to do so. So I reached out to my man, John. I said, John, would you mind swinging by the office? By the way, his office to my office may be less than a mile. Yeah, we could throw a rock. We could throw a rock. He's like, hey, I'd be more than happy to do so, but I only have a half an hour because I have a really fancy event down in Hollywood, Florida I have to get to. So, John, thank you very much for taking the time to come hang out with Coleman and I at the Lone Officer Podcast and letting me pick your brain as it pertains to hard money, private money, and real estate investing in general. Thank you. Um, let's start with this. What is CapSource? We, and what is your role with CapSource? Sure. So I am the CEO of CapSource. I own that 50% with my business partner, Mark. He's our CFO, super smart guy. So shout out to Mark. And the way I like to explain it is we're like a concierge for real estate investors. Our primary focus is financing, uh, non-owner occupied investment property. And typically, well, I, our bread and butter is single family to multifamily two to four. Okay. But we'll, we'll do some commercial, we'll do some storage facilities that we talked about, we'll do some larger multi-unit stuff, but that is our bread and butter. So these are loans that are not being originated and funded in the person's personal name. Correct. These are loans being funded in an LLC or some kind of a business name, correct? Right. Business purpose loans, so either an LLC or a corporation. In some instances, we'll do a trust. Um, but a lot more red tape with a, like a land trust. Okay. And how did you get started in this industry? Sure. Um, I, I kind of backed my way into it. So I'll go back to 2008. I was at UCF. Go Knights. Um, go Knights. Um, and I had just started a job selling timeshare. So unconventional real estate. And Which, I, by the way, for anyone trying to break into any sales, I don't care if it's software sales, go sell timeshare for two years. 100%. It will make you a good salesperson. It, or it'll teach you you don't want to do sales. One or the other. Right. Well, I mean, it definitely sharpens the, the tools. Um, you know, I, I felt it was a little high-pressured. It's a lot um, high-pressured. Grimy, for lack of a better, better yes. term. I had nobody buying a timeshare calling me a month later saying, John, this is the best thing ever. Um, but I knew I wanted to be in real estate. Okay. Um, so I, I got a, a nice, you know, fat commission check, uh, dropped out of school. Mom and dad were not, not happy with that, especially grandma with our ties to UCF. Um, my grandfather started their athletic to pro program. Yeah. O'Leary, George O'Leary, uh, Jack, Jack O'Leary. Yeah, no, not, not related to George. Not, okay. Yeah, yeah. We don't fudge our, our resumes, but, um, <laughs> Um, first, first head football coach. So they really wanted me to kind of go and, yeah. and finish out. And, you know, I had, um, other ideas. So I started doing some research, figuring out, okay, do I want to be a real estate agent? Do I want to just invest? I had some money saved and I saw an ad for a local private money lender and they were looking for somebody that had no experience, but specifically timeshare background. Right. So okay. I was like, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. This let, is me. Let, let me reach out. And I spoke to their uh, owner, had an interview, called me back, had two or three more interviews. 
um, landed the job, and he really became my mentor rather okay. than my boss. So as we were talking about before the podcast, I was in every meeting. Even if it didn't involve me, I wanted to be the fly on the wall. And he had as much experience as you could possibly ask for uh, in a mentor. So he owned the largest wholesale company, Pre-08. He had a subprime uh, lending company, um, had a massive portfolio himself, had flipped hundreds of properties, um, had a class A contractor's license. So any question that I had, I could go and take it to him. And I would assume you were a Henry at the time, which is funny, you and I were talking off camera, yep. are different definitions of a Henry. Yep. I call Henry's high energy, not rich yet, which was you mm -hmm. when you started with this guy in 08. Right. You call it Henry though. High earners, not rich yet. So we're gonna come back to your Henry sure. later uh, in this episode. But at the time you were a Henry and you went to work for someone who was willing to invest in you, probably saw your excitement, saw your passion and invited you into those meetings, even if it meant, hey, John, just shut up and listen. Right. Um, and you got to learn from one of the best. Right. You mentioned the word wholesale. I just want to pause for a second. For those that don't know what that means, my mm -hmm. definition of wholesaling, it's when a real estate professional goes out and finds a property and they find it for the sole purpose of flipping it to another investor. Right. Sometimes they actually close on it and then they sell it for maybe a 10, 20, $50,000 profit, right. or sometimes they'll find it, they'll get it locked up, meaning they get it under contract, never close on it, but maybe they assign the contract to another investor. Right. So it's kind of a way to be the bird dog, go out and find the property, because that's to me the hardest part of most industries. A residential loan officer, the ones who make the millions of dollars a year, it's because they're great at finding borrowers who want to buy homes who need loans. Right. And then the real estate investing world, I would tell someone, and I would love to get your input on this. I think the early on, the most value someone could bring to an organization is the person who goes out and finds the discounts. Sure. So if you're, if you're looking to get into the investing space, you, you don't want to be fighting people on MLS and, and you, you want to try and focus on buying as deeply discounted as you possibly can. And if you're new and on a limited budget, the wholesalers are spending all of the money to try and find those uh, highly discounted off-market properties. So for an investor, they're doing all of the legwork. And my job is to look at that wholesale deal, figure out the margins, and make sure that with what, uh, that assignment, whatever they're marking it up, that it still makes sense and it's still profitable for the investor. Because it has to make sense to all three parties. You have someone mm -hmm. who's selling the home. So mm -hmm. whatever offer you made has to make sense to them. Right. You have yourself as the wholesaler, and we're talking about this because you're talking about how you got started in the business and your mentor was wholesaling right. and he was also lending. He was also taking down properties himself. Right. Um, but um, you, you would have to figure out, okay, does this make sense for the person selling it? Does it make sense for us to where we're going to make our spread, whether it's five grand or 50 grand, right. but more importantly, will I be able to sell it to the investor where it makes sense for that investor? Because investors, if they're really good, they have their own algorithms and their own buy boxes, we call them, Sure. where it's like, okay, I need to make sure I buy it this much off of the current market value, which mm -hmm. we call ARV, right? right? After repair values of very, very common 
vernacular or terminology in this space. Right. Um, so you got started, were you a wholesaler when you got started or did you get started in the lending side or did you do all three at once? I got started on the lending side, but I quickly took his business model because I had a good friend from high school who had got into the wholesale space. And, you know, through my training, I thought that that model he had was so brilliant. Okay. So this I, is Alex Q you're talking about, yep, right? Shout outs to Alex, uh, direct wholesale deals. If you're looking for off market uh, properties, um, uh, say that again, because direct wholesale deals.com. Okay. All right. And Alex um, is a local Orlando guy too. Yeah. Big, right. big time investor. But you know, I, we, him and I had a relationship and I wanted to implement that model that he was using pre 08 to my business, right? My, my book that I'm, I'm building out. And so many, you know, as a newbie, when you come in, you're getting a lot of new investors, people that are either on their first deal, maybe have done no more than three. And so my goal is to make sure that they come back and keep coming back. And they always think that they need the financing first. I need to line up my financing when, you know, as an LO, I want to see that you have your business in place. Is your company ready to go? Do you have a go-to title company that you're going to use? Who's your insurance agent? Who's your GC? The financing should be the last piece of the puzzle, in, in my opinion. Interesting. So, and then, you know, they don't have a deal. So I could go through a 30 minute pitch on the phone, sound unbelievable. And if that person, that investor doesn't pick up a deal, I never hear from them again. So what I would do is figure out, okay, how much money do they have? Where are you looking to buy? What type of asset class do you want to be in? And then I'll go out to the local wholesalers that I've developed relationships with the Alex Q's and say, okay, this guy's got 15 deals in Orlando. I know I could finance these four, no problem. These two have slim margins. So I'll take these four and call up my investors and say, I have four deals. Here are the margins. They work great. Do you want to pick it up? You were the epitome of a Henry. Yeah. You were so in, in not dire need. You were so um, driven to finance because you made your money as a loan officer. You got paid a commission to go fund those deals. Yep. But you're getting frustrated that usually beginning investors would come to you first thinking, oh, it maybe this is like a traditional loan. Right. A traditional loan, the first place you start is with a mortgage lender. Yep. Like before you get with a realtor, before you get with a builder, no, you get with a mortgage loan originator, let them pre-approve you. Yep. You're saying, look, in the real estate investing world, go find a property. Yeah. Go, go find, find a deal. property, find a deal. Then I can sit down and I can talk to you about how financing would work because it's going to work different than when you bought your primary home that you live in. Right. Everything from how you're underwritten is probably going to be way different as well as the terms. So when you got frustrated, instead of giving up, you said, no, let me find a way. Yeah. And your find a way is let me go find these people homes. I can bring them the home. Mm -hmm. Then I can finance it, which means I get a commission. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can even pick up a, I'm guessing you try to pick up a spread as well yourself. Or at that point, you just wanted to get the financing. Just, just the finance. Okay. I would never, never tack on. Now that business model has changed because we do wholesaling now and we'll have a spread on anything that we're, we're direct on. But no, I wanted it to be as good of an investment as I possibly could. So anything that I'm adding on is taking away from my client. And as a new investor, the whole goal is to get them to come back. You have to make money. If you're an investor and you pick up a project, the saying is if you break even on the first one, you've done a good job. Well, if I'm the investor and I broke even, it's like I've got a sour taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's Dustin's fault. Yes. You know, he didn't bring me a good enough deal. Um, so, no, I wanted them to make money. I wanted them to come back. You give good service. You give good deals. They're not going to go anywhere. I and love repeat that. business is the easiest business. It's the best business. And, you know, you really, especially with an investor, develop 
strong relationships. So I don't know what the average first-time home buyer in terms of, you know, they close on that first one when they buy that next primary. Was it like five? Five years, five, five to years. seven years. Okay. Yep. My investors are coming two, three, four times a month. So the, the top guys. And if they're a newbie, you know, 90 days, they're going to exit that first deal and they're going to come right back. So it makes it a lot easier when you're building out your book of business, especially if they're going to do um, any rental financing down, down the line because I get the front end, I get the value add bridge loan uh, uh, commission. And then when they refinance into that long term, I get another commission. So I have one investor doing maybe three to four deals a month, and then there's two closings on each yeah, one. Yeah, so you're talking about that's 36 a year times potentially two. Mm -hmm. That's 70 transactions. Right. All because you're willing to pay it forward. You're willing to do a little bit of extra work, which, by the way, benefited you at the time. Right. Right. You, you look, this person wants to borrow money, but they didn't, haven't found a home yet. Let me find them the home. I don't want to get paid on that. What I want to do is build the relationship. I want to show them how to become successful so they continue to come back and it's not one a quarter, it's one a month. Then it's not one a month, it's two a month. And then rents repeating. Obviously, somewhere along the line, John O'Leary became John O'Leary, CEO of CapSource. And that was forced as well. So I had worked my way up to director of sales. I was responsible for hiring and training all the new sales reps. We went from, I think when I started, five people, and at our height, we're up to probably just under 40. Wow. Um, so we scaled pretty pretty quickly. Um, and is that me here? Sorry about that. Um, so we, we scaled pretty, uh, pretty quickly, and then COVID hit. And there was a lot of uncertainty with our secondary market investors because hard money changed from 2009 and 10 to where we stand today. Um, hard money, private money was all privately raised. It was your next door neighbor's IRA that we were getting the cash from. It was the retirees out in the villages that were giving us capital. They're earning higher than what their retirement account was, was getting them. So everything was privately raised and you could set your own guidelines. Wall Street said, hey, these are profitable deals. We want to dip our toe in, yeah. into this. Um, and now there's a little bit tighter guidelines to to yeah. deal with. Yeah, it became more institutionalized. Right. Unless like that word private really meant something. It was like, no, that's private, private. Right. Yep. So what so what happened is when COVID hit, they paused. We don't know what's going on. We need to feel feel this out. Um, and we didn't know when they would flip the switch back on. So we unfortunately had to lay off a good chunk of the staff. And then those lights didn't come back on as quick as we thought. And we went from 40 people down to a couple, which is super unfortunate for a small, small business. And I made the extremely tough decision to, rather than rebuild it for, at the time, my mentor, yep. uh, who was super close to me, I branched off on, on my own. Yep. And in you know, less than three years, we went from an idea on a piece of paper to operating you know, a seven-figure business. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank it's you. a true story of like when one door closes, another one opens. Right. Right. That opportunity was afforded through an unfortunate event called COVID and massive layoffs. But look what you made out of it. Look where you are now. You mentioned um, some terms and some terminology, bridge loan mm -hmm. and and uh, um, what do you call it? Long term yeah. financing. Can we talk for like five minutes? Like, let's talk. What does it mean to be a loan officer in the world of private money or hard money. I tend to use the word hard money. Um, don't even know where that comes from, but right. um, hard money, private money, um, not Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, uh, not something you're doing for an individual, something you're doing for a company. Um, and then what are the terms? What are the terminologies? Um, how is how's a loan originator compensated in, 
in your world. Like in my world, loan officers, like if you work for a bank, you're probably making 50 basis points, mm -hmm. 0.5%, maybe up to 70 basis points, 0.7%. If you're a self-sourced realtor, builder, referred loan originator, you're making between 100 and 150 basis points or 1% to 1.5%. And that's on the loan volume. It's mm -hmm. pretty straightforward, pretty regulated. Um, in your world, does it operate similar? Very is it, similar. Is it smaller basis points because there's more deals or is it larger basis points because it's smaller loan amounts? Like, how does that work? So it's, it's our system's volume based. So the BIPs will go up based off of the, the volume that you're doing for that particular month. But the systems and, and procedures are very much the same. Um, the uh, barrier of entry is different. So you don't have to have a license. You don't have to go through the 20, 25 hour. Yep, the you know, safe and MLS testing. Right, which okay. we've done, you know, just to kind of do it, mm -hmm. um, but you don't need it. So it's a little bit, you know, there's, there's obviously training that goes into that. There's um, various classes that you can take for the traditional side. Ours is, is very much, you know, we kind of just throw you in um, and you uh, learn to get to the, the shallow end on your own. We throw you in, throw you, throw you in off the, uh, off the deep end. Yeah. You learn as you grow. We right. just had this awesome guest, Kayla Sharp on and mm -hmm. Kayla taught me that terminology. Oh no, I just learned as I grow. I'm right. like, Oh, I love that. Then I told her I'm going to swipe an adaptant. Look here, I am using it. Right. So what, I mean, is, is a hundred basis points like a common comp plan for, cause there's listeners who are thinking, you know what? I love finance. I love mortgage and real estate, but I think I want to work solely with investors. I want to do what John does. I don't want to do what Dio does. Right. So I would say for most people starting off, it's right around the 50 okay. to 75. Okay. Yeah. And so you can scale your way up um, again, based off of performance and doing more volume, but most people coming in with other, you know, established um, longer tenured lenders, it's probably around 50, 50 bips. Okay. Yeah. And that's just good for me to know. Like I literally didn't know that, that, and then do you require your loan officers to self-source or are you saying, look, my partner and I have done a fantastic job of of this of creating this following. Mm -hmm. These number of people are calling me. I just don't have enough resources or bandwidth to process all of these loan applications for all of these properties. What what does that typically look like? And I mean, I guess you can speak for how it works at CapSource, but then even if you could speak on the industry as a whole. So the industry is very much self-sourcing. And I mean, that's why a lot of people get into this, right? So you may not own um, Waterstone, but you operate a business within it. Yes. And that's the beautiful thing about our industry is you, the LO, are operating a business um, within a business. So yeah, we do SEO, we have leads that come in, but I encourage every LO, whether you're on the conventional side or, or the hard money side, um, to build your book out through networking. So you talked about the event that I'm going to down in South Florida. You know, it's to eventually join a mastermind, which I have no intentions of doing, but I know that there's going to be thousands of investors in there. So whether it's going to a meetup group, your local RIA, um, handing out your business cards when you go to the gym or you run into, you know, Sally at the grocery store, whoever it is, it's all networking. And I wouldn't rely if I'm operating my own business within a business on the leads that are coming in through people filling out an inquiry on the website. Awesome. Real quick, you mentioned RIA. RIA mm -hmm. stands for? Um, Real Estate Investment uh, Association. Yes. Every market has a RIA. If anyone is interested in becoming an investor, right. even if it's three, five, seven years down the road, start attending these functions. Mm -hmm. Like just start networking. Put right. yourself in the room with other people who are doing or trying to do what you want to do eventually. 
Yeah. Um, I knew what REA meant, but I knew there's people listening in. They're like, how do I spell that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Real and Estate Investment Association. Investors Association, I think. Yeah, knowledge is power and partnerships equal rocket ships. So the beautiful thing with REA is there's a wealth of knowledge in there and there's plenty of people that you can connect with. So we had talked about my, my friend, Alex. When Alex set up his business, you know, if he's doing short-term rentals, he has a specific partner he uses for those. When he jumps into self-storage, he has a specific partner he uses for those. And that's all done through networking. Mm-hmm. And eventually, once you have your book of business, you've closed, closed enough deals, then referrals come into play. If you're doing a good job, hey, I know somebody who's doing the exact same thing. I want to put them in contact. So um, yeah, partnerships equal rocket ships. So anything that you can do to educate yourself, and people spend you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on education. Um, so if you can, you know, join something for a hundred bucks a month and, and, you know, meet somebody that gets you a couple of deals out of it or teaches you something you didn't know before, um, you, you couldn't, couldn't ask for more. So yeah, networking is, is key. Yeah. And, and for those that are tuned in because you want to be an investor at some point in your time, you've been sold on passive income, like mm-hmm. passive income is great. Probably not as easy as you think it is. And the actual income isn't as high as you think it is. Right. But it is something that you can achieve, whether it's through house hacking or whether it's by becoming a client of CapSource, whether it's through their coaching program or or just lending money. But what I've learned in the whole partnerships is rocket ships is you go to these RIA events, there's people who have a ton of money. They don't have a ton of time. Right. So if I'm someone who doesn't have a ton of money, but I have a ton of time, could I go and bird dog? potential opportunities Mm -hmm. at which point I could bring someone with money an opportunity to buy a home. We could partner together. I did the hard work, which was the grunt work. They did the easy work, but it's the hard, the hard in terms of it's hard to accumulate that much cash, right? Or maybe you're a money person, right? I'm a money person. What I need is bird dog people, right? So like, yes, there, there is, there's a, a way for you to bring whatever it is you have of value to the table, right? Uh, something I've learned at least over the past three years, being a partial owner in a real estate investment company. Um, let's talk about, I'm a client. I come to you for a loan. Mm-hmm. What type of loans are you giving me under what type of term? So like, I want to buy a house because I'm, it's a distressed sale and I want to fix it up and I want to flip it and I want to make a profit. Mm-hmm. What type of conversation are you and I having? Well, even before we get to that, it's what is, what are your goals? So what's your what's your business plan, right? You're setting up a company to run a business. So yes. you, obviously you have a, a plan, right? And if not, let's talk about you know what what you want to do, where you want to get, and what's the easiest way to get there. So if you're starting, you know, uh, with a fix and flip, for example, um, and that's a great way to start and build your portfolio to collect that passive income. It's okay. Um, typically a one-year loan. It's interest only. The interest rates can range anywhere for experienced borrowers or people with good credit as low as, you know, 6%, as high as 12%. Okay. Um, we charge anywhere between one to two two points. Okay. And points will be a percentage of the loan amount. Correct. Okay. Um, and on a lot of those loans, we lend 100% of your rehab budget. So if you want to buy and sell, let's say you're picking up a house for hundred grand and you want to put 50 into it, I'll lend you anywhere between 85 to 90% of that purchase price. And then I'll escrow all of the rehab money. Okay, then, so I do need money though. So I yes. need money for a down payment. I need mm-hmm. money for closing costs. Correct. Down payment's going to be anywhere between 15 to 10% on a fix and flip and then a minimum of 20% on a buy and hold. 
Okay. So that's good to know because there's, you know, obviously loan officers want to know this in case they ever want to you know, do what you do for a living. Investors need to know it that, hey, look, I know that you're young, hungry, and aggressive, and you're currently in college getting your finance degree and you're sold on passive income and how, how real estate's the number one way to become a millionaire for most millionaires. Mm -hmm. But you need some starting capital. You need starting capital, and it's not just your down payment and your closing costs, it's your carrying costs. How are you making your monthly payments? Are you still able to pay the bills at home? And our rehab process is based off of reimbursing you. Ooh. So you need to have some cash to start the rehab. So if your roof is 10 grand, you need to have 10 grand to replace the roof, and then I'll immediately reimburse you for it. Okay, so builders call that float. Do y'all yeah. call that float? Um, no. Okay, no. so yeah, so it, like if I talk to a home builder who's a client of ours, like we talk about their float income. Basically, I need something to float me until I'm able to get reimbursed by the lender. Um, so it's good to know, right? If I, People who are out there using hard money or private money in order to purchase real estate for the sole purpose of fixing it up and flipping it for a profit. Right. Best case, you're going to get a 6% interest rate. More than likely, you're not. It's going to be 10%. Right. More than likely, you're going to pay somewhere between one to two points. Mm -hmm. The lender is going to require you to put 10 to 15% down right. on the purchase price, but they will fund your um, cost of rehab. So if it's a, a $50,000 rehab, but they don't just give you the money and let it be willy nilly. They say, no, we're going to give you draws. Right. Go out and replace all the floors. Mm -hmm. Submit your invoice. We'll reimburse you. Go ahead and spend 13000 on a new roof or 8000 on a new AC. So if I'm trying to get into that space as a consumer, I need to have starting capital for the down payment, for the closing cost, and I need something to float me from when I pay the roofer to when John O'Connor actually reimburses me. Right. And that's why having your team in place is so important. So when you're setting up your business, you have a full team of people. You have your finance partner, you have your title company that you're going to work with, your insurance agent, and most importantly is your contractor. So before you start shopping for the deal, who are you going to hire once you've closed on it to do the work? And if you didn't have that contractor in place prior to starting, the rehab as a newbie that you estimated at 30 grand ends up being 60 grand. That's a, a perfect scenario for a possible REO or, or a default where I'm having to take that property back, which I don't want because then I can't do loans number two, three, four. How often and, and does so that on. happen? With us, not very often because we make them have those pieces in place prior to. Okay. So if somebody's coming to me, John, I've got a deal. I've walked through it. The rehab's 30 grand. Great. Where's your contractor's quote? I want to see it. I want to see that they're licensed. Now, if you've done 10, 15 of these, okay, there's a proof of concept. I understand that you know what you're doing. Um, I may not require it. But success in the beginning is so important that if you haven't flipped probably five properties in a 36-month period, I'm going to make you use a contractor. Other lenders might not. They might be fine with a handyman. But our clients perform so well because we make sure that they do it the correct way yeah. from the get-go. And as you stated earlier in the episode, you're trying to repeat or you're trying to create repeat clients. Yeah. You want to see your clients go from doing three a year to three a month. Right. You can only do that if you look out for their success. And it takes it takes time, right? You're not going to watch the loan officer podcast today with me on it and build a portfolio of X uh, millions of dollars by ne next month. It takes years to, to do that. And I've had people come to me on their very first deal. They followed the assembly line perfect. So maybe they had every intention of buying a rental property to start with. And I look at the amount of capital that they have to use and say, well, this isn't going to get you very far. 
So let's build our assembly line where we can keep doing this, rinsing and repeating without burring, which you and I were talking about prior to, and set you up for real success so that you do come back. And I've had people, you know, over the course of, you know, 10 plus years where they came to me on their first deal, didn't know anything about real estate, and now own and operate millions of dollars worth of real estate. They, I have a specific client who opened his own brokerage, got into new construction, has a net worth through the roof, and 10 years ago didn't even know, you know, could barely spell house. Yeah, you know? but what's interesting, you said 10 years ago, it reminds me of a story, and JC's flashing the five minutes for us, so yeah. we have somewhere around five minutes left in this episode, but um, met this awesome young professional, and she is a Henry, and she is, full of gusto. And she's like, I have a goal to be a multimillionaire by 25. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing she's probably 21 or 22 now. And I'm thinking, okay, well, multi means 2 million. And I'm assuming you want to do this via real estate. And we didn't have enough time to talk, but I wanted to say to her, I hope you're starting with a lot of money. Right. Right. Like, I hope you're starting with a lot of capital because it takes money to, to, to make money or it takes time. Exactly. Like your client got there, but he got there in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So if I'm 21 and I'm trying to have a net worth of over $2 million by 25, and I'm not coming up with some intellectual property that I'm going to sell or some software that I'm going to develop to sell, and you're doing it solely in real estate, based on my experiences, and it sounds like yours, you either need to start with a ton of operating capital so that you can go out and purchase enough properties so that you can get there, or you maybe have to re-evaluate your goal and say, I'm going to become a multimillionaire through real estate. Don't necessarily put a timestamp on it, but start putting activities in place. I'm, I'm going to do my first fix and flip, and I'm going to take that money and roll it into, into my next fix and flip, which at which point I may roll into my first buy and hold. Right. And if I do that enough over the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years, I'll turn around and say, holy cow. I have brought in this much revenue through fix and flipping. I've reinvested some of my profits into the down payments required for a buy and hold. My buy and holds have gone up in value. Plus I've paid down my loans right. and I'm getting a little bit of cash flow. It may only be 50, 100, 200 bucks a door. But if I have 10 doors, I have at least there's your passive income. It may only be $2,000 a month, but you got it. Right. Um, and I think that's what the younger generation, I love their excitement to want to get into what you do for a living, what I'm trying to do for a living. But I think sometimes we need to um, help them reassess their expectations without, I'm always afraid I don't want to like thwart their excitement. I just want them to kind of go in with the proper expectations set. Um, well, don't, don't change the goal, right? The goal should remain the same. You should have that plastered on your whiteboard, you know, taped to your desk. The goal should remain the same. You just have to reevaluate the business plan. So if or you have, have a business plan, exactly. And to if, your and point. It, and if not, that's the first thing, that first conversation, we won't, we won't even talk rates. We won't talk points. We won't talk leverage. We're going to talk business plan. So, and, and, you know, we have a CRM that we use and I note everything in there that they're telling me, I want to have, you know, this, this, uh, portfolio by this date, or I want to have this net worth by this date. Okay. Well, let's lay out the steps to, to get there. What's your CRM? Uh, we use Zoho. So, okay. Yeah. We're a big Jungo people here on the residential mortgage side. So yeah. shout out to my friends, Jungo. They're going to be with us in Vegas. John and I are going to JC and I, you're John, he's John. JC and I are going out to Vegas in a couple of weeks to be a part of this mortgage mastermind mm -hmm. uh, event. And um, yeah, I was able to reach out to my CRM people who we love 
And I'm like, hey, I need a sponsor, and they stepped up to the plate. So yeah. any any CRM, can, a, a pad of paper, you know, whatever whatever yeah. it is, but you know, notes. Tr- track you it. have notes, right? Yeah. Whether it's the LO, the investor, everybody's got to track it. Write your goals down. You know, keep keep a keep a, a track of it. Um, and yeah, we'll lay out the business plan, and we'll help you get there. And it will take some some time, but we're invested. You know, I want you to come back. I want you to succeed. And if they're open-minded and they're willing to be your version of a Henry, then they're gonna they're gonna succeed. Ultimately, they'll become my version of a Henry, and then they can really expand. And that's when you can kind of jump into different asset classes and really leverage what you're what you're doing. But whether you have all of the capital or all of the cash, you still want to leverage it. You know, I have a hundred grand. I can go and buy an eighty thousand dollar house right now. Put twenty grand into it. Keep a hundred percent of the profit, and that's a great day's work. But if I can find whether it's a Dustin or a John and say, okay, I'm gonna be willing to take 80% of the profit because I'm using financing. So 20% went out the window, but I can now leverage amongst four deals, I'm making a 320% return rather than that 100% return with the exact same amount of money. So how do you do that as a first time investor? Maybe we set up with a buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, hold assembly line. So we have the proceeds from those first two flips where that perfect rental pops up. We're gonna cherry pick the one that we want we won't have to burr it so at the time of finishing the rehab and then refinancing it into that long-term debt, that 30-year loan, you don't have to pull the money back out. Therefore, you're getting the best interest rate and you're, you're making your money work to its highest potential. So they don't think three or four steps ahead. They know what they want to do. They just need a vehicle to get there. And that's where a company like yours really steps up to the plate because you offer coaching mentorship on top of, hey, I can help you find deals. I can mm-hmm. also finance the deals for you. BRRRR, for anyone who's new to this, it stands for Buy, Rehab, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. Correct. Um, And BRRRR is a phenomenal strategy, but like many things in life, sometimes it sounds easier than it is. Or once you get into the details, you realize the data isn't on my side. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it then slides me into finishing up on your definition of a Henry. High earner. Earner. Not not rich rich yet. Those are people who make enough money that they have the capital. Maybe they already have their six months reserves and they don't have credit card debt. They're putting money into a 401k, their company's matching, and they're like, but I still have money left over at the end of every month. That's when you step up and say, let me teach you how to become wealthy through real estate. Right. So the last thing we didn't cover was, I let's say I am a Henry. Mm-hmm. And I'm not into fixing and flipping. Mm-hmm. I want to buy and hold. What does that look like? What does that underwrite? Are these DSCR loans you're doing? Correct. Or are you pulling my personal credit the way that the lender over at Waterstone or Guild or FBC Mortgage is doing and looking at my tax returns and my pay stubs and my bank statements? Like, what are you doing for me as an investor when all I want to do is own 10 short-term rentals in Daytona Beach, which by the way, I, Dustin Owen, want to, I'm putting it out there, John Coleman, I want to own 10 VRBOs, short-term rentals in Daytona Beach. Sure. So first off, DSCR stands for debt service coverage ratio, which is your total payment, your principal interest, taxes, and insurance divided by the income on the property. And what we want to see when we're qualifying it is that at bare minimum, there's a, a one ratio, preferably one to one. So we want to make sure that you're either breaking even or making making money on it. As to the qualifying question, we do pull credit. So going back to the fact that I'm not lending you money out of my bank account for 30 years. So I'm going to take that note and sell it to Wall Street. So there are some qualifying criteria 
but it's not like the traditional side. So I will pull credit and it's gonna help dictate where the rate is gonna be. If the loan is hitting that one-to-one debt service ratio, we're gonna be fine, but I'm not collecting tax returns. I'm not looking at debt to income. I don't need 12 months of bank statements. So from a qualifying perspective, if the property's cash flowing and you have you know, a, a credit score with a heartbeat, probably 620 and above, we can get you financing. You may not like the rate at that credit score, but we can get you get your foot in the door. So what am I looking at? Down payment, interest rate, and points when I'm I'm thinking long term, not mm-hmm. short term. Short term is a word that you use bridge. Right. Bridge, bridge means the loan's only a, a one or two year loan. Right. It's enough time for me to buy it, rehab it, and then I need to fix it. I need to flip it, which at what point I sell I I, I sell the home, pay off the mortgage. I could burr it, which we kind of talked about, but even when you burr it, it's like a refinance. Mm-hmm. Um, or what we're talking about now is long-term financing. What are those terms? I'm putting 20% down. You told me that. Right. Well, and and there's a way to put less down depending on how deeply discounted the property is. So if I'm looking at your as-is value versus your purchase price. Okay. So let's say 80% of the as-is value is higher than 90% of what you're buying it for. I can increase the leverage even on the long-term debt. If 80% of the as-is value is higher is higher than let's say 90% of your purchase okay. price. Okay. So I'm bu- I'm buying the home for 200 but it's really worth 250. Right? I'm buying at a discount. Mm-hmm. It was a fire sale. Right. Then then if I ran that math, you're saying there's a chance you could actually cuz let's let's say you're buying it for 150. So I'm going to okay. take 90% of that 150 and if that number is smaller than 80% of whatever figure yep. you use, 250, then we can in- increase okay. the, the leverage. Makes sense. But typically, you know, on, on a turnkey rental, what you're paying for it is what it's worth, and you're going to put 20% uh, down on that. Okay. So we'll finance 80%. And then there's plenty of options in terms of products. So you can go with a 30-year fixed. Um, a lot of landlords that are focused on cash flow are taking the interest-only approach with, with where rates are right now. Mm-hmm. So they'll go with maybe a 5, 7, 10, 1 arm. Some of them will even do a unique program, which is a 40-year with the first 10 years interest only, and then it um, will be fully amortizing af- afterwards. Okay. Um, so Rates the, in the sevens and the nines? What am I looking at? Um, we haven't creeped into the nines. Most of them are between, I would say, best case, uh, the floor six and a half, and most are capping out around seven and a half. Yeah, so six and a half is great credit. Great good credit, maybe, maybe even a buy down. So if your interest rate came in at 7.8 and you wanted to buy it down a percent, you can pay a few extra origination points. Okay. And we'll do the math. If you pay the extra origination, well, how long into, the, into that loan term are you making that money back? Um, oh, I don't want to pay three points. Well, okay, by month 36, you have that three points back. And therefore, for the rest of the loan term, you have a lower interest rate. So it's just basically doing some, some simple math to figure out, does it make sense to buy it down or, or does it not? And most of your DSCR loans, or all of them, you are still financing in the name of a corporation or an LLC. You're not doing it in my name. Correct. So okay. that that you know, for any traditional or, or conventional LO out there, you know, if you're trying to figure out how you can network with somebody on the hard money side, so you have somebody reaching out, they want to buy a property, and let's say that the property condition is not allowing you to put financing on it. Well, you can send it over to John or Mark at CapSource. We'll handle the financing for the rehab. We'll stabilize it. And then I can kick it right back for the refinance, mm-hmm. especially if that investor ultimately wants to put it into their name. Maybe they're trying to f- focus on their personal credit. Um, so there's plenty of ways that you can network from the traditional side and the private or hard money oh, side. Oh, a thousand percent. And we 
just scratched the surface on this, but Fannie Mae changed their guidelines. I can actually un I can underwrite and fund a loan in your personal name. And then after the fact, you can uh, transfer the title into an LLC. Right. Now you're still personally responsible. You signed the note, you signed the mortgage. We qualified you, the individual. That used to not be the case. So loan officers who are tuning in, whether you're on the hard money side or you're on the, the more conforming side of things, please know you should be networking with other originators that do what you don't do. So I'm a traditional conforming. I need to know John O'Connor. Oh, O'Leary. I was calling you O'Connor. You can call me O'Connor. You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> uh, it is O'Leary. Um, Something Irish. Yeah, O'Connor is my mother-in-law's maiden name. Um, but but like I need to know John. He needs to know me because literally he walked in today. He didn't know this. I have a lead for him. He walked into my office today. I didn't know this. He has a lead for me. Yep. Right. It, it, it would just, it's because someone called him who needs a traditional mortgage. He's like, yeah, I don't do that. Right. Someone called me saying I need a hard money loan. I'm like, I don't do that. I do DSCR loans, mm -hmm. but I do them in personal names. Right. Right. So like, it's, it's just a different beast. It's a different ball game. There's careers to be had in both. Right. Right. And, and there's a need for what you do and like a need for what, what we do. Um, we're done on time. Unfortunately, okay. you and I can sit here for probably two more hours. Yes. Hopefully we, we can come we, back and we, we, can, can, we turn can do a deeper in, dive. Yes. We, I would love for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love for that. Um, how does someone get a hold of you? Like if you're interested, whether it's a, a job with CapSource, whether it's to borrow money, to learn how to purchase property, what's the best way to get a hold of you all? Sure. So number one, if you are in the central Florida area, we are hiring. I am looking for a couple of ex account executives to bring on board. So I uh, appreciate that. The easiest way to get a hold of me, you can visit our website, thecapsource.com. You can email me directly, john, J-O-H-N, at thecapsource.com. You can follow me on Instagram, at capsourceceo. Um, same thing with my business partner, Mark, at capsourcecfo. Um, so you can either DM me, you can email me directly. Um, you can go to the website and pull any of the contact numbers if you want to just give us a call. I love it. And uh, for anyone who's tuned in because you are friends or clients of John's and you're like, who in the hell is the Loan Officer Podcast? And who is this other bald headed guy? Um, my name is Dustin Owen. This is the Loan Officer Podcast. This is a podcast that we put on without ads, without sponsors. All we ask is if you like what we're doing, share it. Tell someone to tune in. We talk about everything that's real estate related, finance related, mortgage related, basically anything that should have been taught to you in high school, but wasn't right. This is so big. And, and if I can throw this out there, I've done a couple of, of different podcasts and, you know, for somebody, whether they're a, a, a hard money broker, they're a traditional LO, they're, you know, just a random listener, somebody that wants to get into investing and they don't want to pay the large sums of money to get into a mastermind, the content, because I didn't know much about the podcast, mm -hmm. but I did watch a couple of ep episodes and the content that you put out that's so big for, for people. I mean, I learned maybe three or four things that I didn't didn't know from watching the no, one or thank two, you. two episodes that I watched. So I uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing because you're helping educate people out there that maybe don't have the resources or don't want to pay for that for that education. Yeah, our four tenants, we wanted to first educate, second, entertain. And then if we can inspire or motivate, that's fantastic. There's four things we try to do. There's two of them that we will knock it out of the park on as educating and entertaining. Uh, the other two, hey, they're added value if they come along. We actually built a website earlier this year because people wanted more content. So when people ask, what's the best way to get a hold of us? Now we have a website. So whether you want to find us on Instagram or on LinkedIn, by the way, LinkedIn, I am Dustin Owen on LinkedIn. It's the best way to connect with me. I live on LinkedIn. I'm pretty accessible. But the website is the 
loanofficerpodcast.com or TLOP online. TLOP is T-L-O-P online.com. TLOP because our fans have called the Loan Officer Podcast. They just affectionately shortened it to TLOP. I like it. Yeah, I love it. So we try to lean into it. TLOPonline.com. He is John O'Leary. I am Dustin Owen. That is all the time we have for you, but I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you. Peace.